Welcome, everyone, to the latest episode of the Graw Pod. Doug Graw here, happy to be back and happy to be joined by my good friend and colleague, Gary Randall. Hey, Gary. Hi, Doug. How are you doing today? Doing well. June is here. Summer is here. Hard to believe, actually, we're coming up on halfway through the year. A little bit of quick math. 10 days from the halfway point, 25 days to the end of the second quarter. It's unbelievable how fast the time goes and about 209 days left in the year. So when we start thinking about planning, which I guess is what we're going to be talking about today, there's no time like the present. Yeah, you're exactly right. We're sitting here thinking in our personal lives, probably about summer activities and what are we going to be doing and all that kind of stuff. But if you think about our customers and their customers, their customers are probably, frankly, past the holiday season and thinking about the beginning of 24, Q1 and Q2 and 24, they're truly thinking ahead with their shipping patterns and their shipping plans. Yeah, there's no doubt. And with today's economy, there's probably all kinds of conversation about what to do, how to plan. The trucking companies and the carriers that come out on top are going to be the ones that are nimble enough to work their way through that with their customers. Yeah, so this is a good reminder. What are you doing for planning? What are you doing to get ahead of some things and to have some success with the rest of year, year, but also to set yourself up for success in 2024? A couple of things come to my mind and just thinking of calls having recently with clients and for clients and everybody's different with how their calendar works. Not everybody's on just a conventional calendar year year, but I know a lot of folks starting to get ready for insurance renewals starting to get ready for the next round of financing for any equipment purchases, perhaps, or maybe just some of their banking agreements might be coming up due. They need to renegotiate their credit lines, things along those lines. Got to start thinking about budgets for next year. What we see is a lot of the good companies are thinking about that stuff now and starting to do their homework now so they're not scrambling right at the end. And I think you hit on a key point too, the budgets. In my mind, when you said that, the word people came up into my thought process. It's another part of the planning process is where are you with your people? As you're trying to develop those folks, what are your plans to continue? What kind of a track you have some of your future leaders on? What are you doing to help bring them along so that you develop them and spend as much time trying to develop them as you do your business plan? Well said. That's a great catch because a lot of times you'll hear from a client about the frustrations of, I don't have somebody that can really take this off my plate that can run with this, so to speak. Well, what are you doing to change it? The answer may not always be, I need to hire somebody on the outside right now, or I don't have time to hire somebody on the outside. It can be, is there anyone on the team that we can start giving maybe some stretch work to, to see if we can start developing the skill set to take some of that stuff off your plate? Yeah, and it's so important to work with your middle managers, your directors, those folks, because a lot of times they're going to be reluctant. They've got that star player that's on their team in a role that they're very comfortable with. They're getting very good results out of that person. And the last thing they want to do is think about adding to that person's plate. In their mind, that becomes a distraction toward the good work that the person is doing right now. So it's really a time to get together with that level of leadership in your company and make sure that everybody understands the big picture. If we've identified this person as someone that's going to move up in the organization and take on more responsibility someday, we have to start to plan for someday. You can't just all of a sudden snap your fingers and plop them into a new spot and expect them to be successful there. 
So it's critical that the mid-level managers buy in and the director levels buy in so that they're not afraid to take some chances with some of their people and move some folks around in order to get them more experience. Yeah, I think an underrated part of that planning related to people, and you and I have seen this help some companies, and we've seen it hurt some companies, frankly, and that is companies that are starting to kick the tires on selling. It's not a big announcement. It's not public or anything along those lines. But in the owner's head, there's this inkling of maybe I am two, three, four, five years away from scaling back or selling completely, whatever the case of is some kind of transition in that owner's life. Well, as you're starting to position yourself for sale, if there aren't some good leaders coming up that can do a lot of planning and leading and strategic things and executing and just really do good work, that will impact your value. When you get into the due diligence, when you get into that evaluation of companies and starting to put dollars on it, yes, how many trucks and trailers do you have? What's your book of business look like? There's no doubt about those. That's the lion's share of stuff. But you really can move the needle on your transaction in a good way or a bad way, depending on the status of your non-driving personnel and whether or not there's some good talent there that will be able to stay on as a part of the transition, help the transition be successful, and maybe fill a hole on the buyer side. So I encourage listeners to be thinking about personnel development for the people themselves in their own career, for their own business and improving their own business, but also don't forget about the value they add to you in terms of an exit plan. Yeah, a big part of the value is, are your processes tight? So you're looking to sell, someone's looking to buy. What makes you attractive? Your processes are tight. You run your business your way, however you've determined that that is. And what you're getting at, Doug, and I think it's the most important thing, that there are people that can actually make that happen for you. And that person who's going to come and look to buy your company is going to recognize that pretty quickly as either a strength or a weakness. Yeah, they can do it in a way that is repeatable, scalable. It's not just, well, we can do this because we have the right amount of people for the right amount of drivers, but don't you dare add one more driver or one more customer because it all falls apart. It's that tight process that you can keep repeating and you can scale and build from and so on. That can really impress some buyers out there. And again, I point to some work that I know that you've done in helping clients get in there and evaluate those people and help those people grow, but then also to set them up for success post-transaction. Yeah, the experiences that we had, it didn't take very long for the buying company to come in and quickly identify the people that they wanted to transition with. And that was because those people had been developed. And many of them were younger managers that at one point probably felt like they were in above their head a little bit. But the selling company did a really good job of developing those folks, putting them in position where they could be successful. And when the buyer came in, the buyer almost looked at it like a total package. They were buying a book of business. They were buying equipment, but they also knew they had an opportunity to employ some of these people who'd been successful with these processes. And they went ahead and did that. It worked out really well for everybody. And I think that can repeat itself over and over again. 
So bringing it back to our planning discussion, you're sitting here in the middle of the summer thinking about what the rest of the year looks like. We don't want to spend too much of our time thinking about five years from now or three years from now. There's still obviously lots to do on a day-to-day basis, but do allow yourself and even force yourself to spend a little bit of time and think to yourself, okay, I could see an exit for our organization, for our current management group, ownership group, whatever it is, in the next three years. If I'm trying to be honest of my evaluation of our company, we're really good in A, B, and C, but honestly, we could get a little bit better with our operations leadership or our safety leadership or whatever. Pick your department, pick your area. And to be thinking about, okay, well, what am I going to do about that? Does that need to be looking to hire somebody? Does that need to be some kind of a talent development? And what can you start doing over the next few months and next couple of years to make that improvement? Because that will impact your bottom line when it comes time to exit. Yeah, you want to position yourself to be as good as you can possibly be to that potential buyer. Sometimes I think it's hard for people, especially in the transportation business, it is hard for them to look two, three years down the road because they're so caught up in today because today is busy and tomorrow is going to be busier and this deadline is coming up next week. So 100% of their thought process and their effort goes toward just getting through. The real key to success, as you mentioned, Doug, is to be able to set some time aside, both for the development of your people and also the thought process of what does that lineup look like two or three years from now versus the way it looks today? And how would you want it to look and what are you going to do to help it get to that point? It's just critical that we find the time on that. And I think that advice that you just outlined also can apply as you're evaluating your customer base and your operations and your fleet. I know that something you've done a lot over the years is helping clients with, hey, what does our customer base look like today? What does our freight network look like today? What's working? What isn't working? What do we need to supplement, replace, and so on? How do we prioritize our freight network accordingly to improve our utilization, improve our retention, and overall improve our bottom line? And if you don't take that time to start planning ahead for the next six months or one year, you don't end up making those improvements. Yeah, put you in a position of strength if you can take the time to plan that and to put some thought into that versus reacting. I mean, we all get the bids that get sent to us and we find ourselves reacting often. There's a problem with that because when we react, sometimes we end up with the business that we really didn't want or the least favorable business out of that bid. So what is it that you're going to make your network look like? I use that word make intentionally because you have control over that, but you've got to take the time to plan it, to really look at it, to really understand where you want those freight volumes to be, where your drivers are going to be domiciled so that your freight volumes support the retention of your drivers. So you really need to take the time to look at that. Sometimes companies just get busy filling out bids and it becomes a volume thing. They take pride in the number of bids that they've filled out and it becomes a quantity versus quality type thing. Yeah. The point being, you just need to be purposeful. What is it that you need to add to the freight mix? What do you need to maybe change within the freight mix? And how are you going to go do it? Now, We're in a market right now where you probably can't be quite as choosy as you'd like to be, but that doesn't mean you can't be planning for when the market does change, how can I make some adjustments? Right. I'll handle this business for now, but this isn't part of really my long-term play. And you've got to have the discipline to look at it like that. 
I think this type of planning then also extends into the safety world, into the risk management world. And in particular, one thing I'm thinking of is the insurance world. And I've been on a handful of calls in the past six weeks with clients who are way ahead of the ball game. They don't have renewals for their insurance program coming up until the fall, but they're already strategizing with their insurance agent about what data do we need to pull together? What additional data do we want to pull together? What highlights do we want to hit? What narrative do we want to put together? And where are we going to go shop our insurance program to get the best rates? Insurance rates continue to be tough for a lot of carriers. I'm not going to say that there's the secret sauce to all of a sudden getting huge discounts because the market is what the market is to a certain degree, but you can make improvements. You can do better if you're organized with your data and you're organized with your narrative and you can explain your data with your narrative and you can explain what your plan is to either keep going on the good path you're on or to correct course if you're not on a good path. It's just like what we talked about with your freight network. It's being reactionary versus having a plan and going into it with a plan. As you said, Doug, when you are meeting with the insurance folks, you've got to be able to tell your story. Well, it's the same thing when you're meeting with your shipper customers. You've got to be able to tell your story about why you're going to handle their freight in those lanes better than other folks are. So it really does mean that you got to sit down and decide what data you're going to use and what that storyline is going to be what the narrative is going to be in order for you to try to get what you want out of it. Either a lower insurance rate, more of a book of business. There's some very good insurance agents out there, and I really enjoy listening to them help clients through this process because what I hear them doing is saying, okay, what do we want to put together for our purposes? And then what do we have to make sure we cover because this is what the insurance market is doing? Because we as clients may not always understand, or we may think the insurance company really wants to hear about A, B, and C, when the reality is they want to hear about A, B, and G. C doesn't do anything for them. They don't care about this much, but they really do care about and want to know what you're doing with G. And that may not be on your radar. And again, we're here in June. Maybe your renewal's not until late in the fall. Well, if you're having those discussions with your agent now, you may can do some work towards G so you can have a better answer when it comes time for the fall. So getting ahead of this stuff, scheduling that lunch, scheduling that call with your insurance agent to start prepping for how are we going to have success this renewal season? And success is all going to be relative, but how can we make this as pain-free of an experience as possible? Yeah, really doesn't matter what portion of your business you're looking at, whether it's the insurance, whether it's sales, whether it's recruiting, business development. The folks that win are the folks that take the time every week, every month, every quarter, set aside some time for the planning to look ahead, to look forward. Part of that looking forward is to look in the rearview mirror and see what worked and what didn't work, what you're happy with, what you're not happy with. But the folks that are strategic, that take their time rather than just reacting to the market, whether it's the insurance market or the freight market or the recruiting market, the folks that take the time to plan ahead and really invest that time always come out ahead. And I think something you just hit on there, Gary, is about the really good ones that we see. They take the time to plan, but like you said, they keep getting at it every week, every day, every month, every quarter, whatever the case would be. And so it's not like they're dusting off the plan once a year. It's a living, breathing plan that obviously adjusts based on market, based on changes. Things happen. So it's not a static document. It is a living 
breathing guideline or guidepost for your organization. So I would encourage people to stick with it. And I'm thinking of a good friend and a member of our team, Gary, that comes to mind when we start talking about planning. Bob would tell us one of the biggest plans to put together for any motor carrier and any logistics company and really probably just about any business is that cash flow plan. And to really always have that something you're working on. What does that next 12, 18, maybe 24 months look like in terms of cash? What's going on with the business that's going to help that, hurt that? When are the major expenses coming out? How does cash flow look and work and so forth? I know he is a very large proponent of not just the end result, but the process of cash flow planning and the things that you start to discover about your business and the things that you can uncover to say, I want to go spend some time in there and see if I can improve that. If you think about it, it's really the heartbeat of your business. The cash flow is the heartbeat of your business and you got to take care of your heart. So I think what Bob hits on often, and we've both heard him do it, and he's exactly right, is if you don't have a management team that truly understands that side of your business, you're going to have problems. Yeah, well said. You look at the revenue side of the cash flow, how well it's coming in, how fast it's coming in. Do you have a great handle on who is paying you on time? Who is paying you accurately? Who is eating up a lot of your team's time to get paid versus who is very efficient in their payment? Obviously, I don't want to overplay it. Still, the rate matters, the freight and all that kind of stuff. That stuff can still matter as much or more than any of this stuff. But do you have an idea of days, say, outstanding. How long is your freight bill sitting out there before you're actually getting paid? The contract may say payment terms are 30 days, but you and I have done a lot of contracts together, Gary. You can have two clients right next to each other that say they're 30-day payment terms and really have very different experiences. Well, one is all set up on auto everything, so it's auto billed as soon as the load is delivered, and it's auto paid on day 30, so it really is 30-day payment terms. Versus another one is, well, the 30 days doesn't start until we actually get the invoice. We don't actually invoice. We only do it twice a month. We don't actually pay until 30 days after we receive the invoice, so it's really more like 42-day payment terms. Those are pretty significant changes. Cash flow planning is not all just about that stuff. It's more than that. But that is an example of the types of things that I think can get uncovered when you put together good cash flow planning. And paying attention to the details is really what you're talking about. Because on the outside, both those customers look equal. They both have 30-day terms. But as you start to operate within that, it's completely different. And you've got to understand that. And that's going to tell you who you want to give your trucks to. Who is it that you're trying to do business with? Yep, you're exactly right. So Gary, in your experience, what does good planning look like? What is the exercise of good planning? What do you see some companies have some success with in terms of their planning process? I think it's kind of simple. They all seem to start out the good ones, no matter how they verbalize it. The good ones all start out with the same thing. It's what are we trying to do? Who's going to be responsible to get that done? And when is it going to get done by? And a lot of companies just miss that third piece. They do a good job of saying, well, here's what we want to do. And we're going to have Joe over there head up that project. But when they don't put a date against it, when they don't answer that when question, a lot of it just becomes talking versus action. So you want a plan that dictates action 
not one that just dictates more conversation. And I like all three of those, but I'm going to add a fourth and a fifth. I think you'll agree with these. To me, the fourth component of that is all three of those things, one, two, three, need to be clear. What do you want to do? Is it clear? Is it understood? Is everybody on board? Or is it like, well, I thought we really wanted to grow. Wow, we only want to grow with these types of customers. Well, what is it? What do you want to do? So be very clear with what you want to do, who's responsible for it, and when it needs to be done by. And then the fifth thing is, I would say, is alignment, meaning a plan is not going to just be one thing. Here's our one thing that we want to do. It might be two, three, four things. Well, did you set all of the deadlines for two weeks from now? Well, if you set all the deadlines for two weeks from now, that doesn't work. That's not aligned. You still have a day-to-day stuff to do. Did you put all of the responsibility on one person or did you give the same responsibility to two different people? Do any of the things you want to get done, the improvements... We want to grow in a certain way, and we also want to increase rates in a certain way, and we want to only use this type of equipment and get rid of some other equipment. We'll do all three of those things align, or do they actually kind of fight against each other? So I like your three a lot. What do you want to do? Who's responsible for it and by when? But then check yourself before you put any of that stuff into play. Are your answers clear, and are they aligned, or are they leading to any kind of confusion? or I thought that was on that person's plate. I would say if you're really good at those five things, your planning can take place in the way of two-day off-site sessions. It can take place in the way of family dinners if the organization is run by a family. That type of stuff, I might have some preferences for one over the other, but at the end of the day, they're not as important as whatever your process is, does it result in those five things? I think you're right. And I think one of the things that you and I recently saw, we had a great opportunity to help a client with some planning. And one of the things that we saw happen was that the department heads, the director level type people, sometimes you run into some of those folks that want to over deliver. They're so excited about the process and they see so many opportunities that they tell you they're going to have 15 things done within a relatively short period of time. So as an owner or as an executive within your company, one of the things, the caution when you get into these planning sessions is exactly what we talked about. And then is it practical? Can we really get that done? Certainly no bad intention by the manager who says, I'm going to get 12 things done. I'm excited. This planning session is great. I'm motivated. I'm going to come out of here. I'm going to get all this done. And then 30 to 45 days later, when you review, where are we at? What you see is, is that a third of the things have been looked at and maybe none of them have been completed because he or she overwhelmed themselves. So that's a watch out as well, is to make sure that we chip away at this. You're not going to fix everything overnight, but you've got to continually work on it over and over and over again. And that'll let you get done what you need to get done without overwhelming your folks. And I think a way to chip away something that we see companies, I'm not going to say fail at, but maybe don't make as much progress on executing their plans as they would like is they don't take the chip away approach. They do get very energized by the day. There's a lot of activity that goes into the preparation for the planning session. And then there's a lot of work maybe immediately thereafter the next day or so, but very quickly, the day-to-day just takes everything back over. And I like what you said, bite-sized practical chunks of it, but keep coming back to it. The planning part is pretty easy, actually. 
it's not easy. It is hard to do well, but in terms of improving your business, that is the easy step. The hard stuff is what you do afterwards. It's, did somebody take good notes from the big planning session that you had? And did you answer those five questions about who's going to do it? What are they going to do? And do it by when? And that there's clarity and alignment. Who's taking the notes for all that stuff? And then who's following up with them to make sure it's in fact getting done? And typically that's going to start with the owner and their direct reports and them holding people accountable about, okay, well, what kind of progress are we making? And I think that's great tool with metrics when you do put together those plans. Let's say your plan is something in fact relates to your customer network and some change outs that you want to do. Okay, well, how are you going to measure it? Maybe we should say that's a sixth thing is how are you going to measure this stuff? The idea that our list is getting a little bit long, but the idea is how are you going to measure it? Because that really is a great way to hold yourself accountable. Hey, we want to change out our freight. We want to see these two customers out of our top 20. How are we going to get them out of our top 20? Well, we need to find two other customers to replace them. How are we going to go find those two? You can start measuring that stuff to hold yourself accountable and make those improvements. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And the measurement piece is something we shouldn't forget. That's how you're going to ensure success is to make sure you're following up means measuring it. Yeah. And we shouldn't sit here and go as a legal and consulting firm. We do the same thing for ourselves. We try to put together plans of what we want to do from a customer base and what we want to do in terms of expanding our network and expanding our business. I don't think planning and business improvements has anything to do with how big or small you are. Or really, if you're a logistics company, if you're a trucking company, or if you're an equipment company, whatever it is, this stuff can help you improve. And I would encourage anybody find the time. And it doesn't always have to be finding three days to do it all. Can it be finding an hour one morning this week and finding an hour the next week to start jotting together some notes of what a plan can look like or what are the things you need to be planning for? And maybe you just break it down into smaller chunks. Hey, insurance renewal is coming up in three months. What do we need to do to get ready? What can we do to put together a cash flow plan? Start breaking the business down into chunks to things to start planning for and around. All right, I think nobody could say it better than that. It sounds like a great plan to me. Well, I appreciate that, Gary. And I've appreciated the discussion again today. Like always, I know you and I really enjoy helping our clients do better, be better. That really is the best part of our world and what we get to do. And I'm very thankful for the opportunity to get to do it. Thank you again for the time today. And I hope everybody keeps having a good summer, have a good safe summer. And I do hope you find a little bit of time here and there to start thinking about what are the next six months, what are the next 12 months, maybe 18 months look like, and what do we need to start doing to make some improvements for whatever our goals are. So thank you, everyone. Be safe. Have a great summer.